This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who survive challenges like fire, flood and drought, people who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and those who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm Beck Wren. I'm Greg Cookle. And I'm Zali Thomas. Today, we're chatting with Pip Grant, the CEO of Riverine Plains. Riverine Plains is an independent, for-purpose organisation specialising in farmer-driven research and extension to improve broadacre farming systems in New South Wales and Victoria. As a leader in global agri-tech innovation, Pip has dedicated herself to implementing programs to benefit rural and remote communities. While she specialises in agri-tech and sustainable supply chains, Pip is also passionate about identifying new technology to improve outcomes for farmers and the people-to-people connection that increases its adoption. In this episode, Pip will break down the Australian agri-tech industry, which areas still have room to grow, and explain how Riverine Plains is helping growers improve their businesses. She'll also dig into how time has changed her thoughts about opportunities in Aussie ag. Let's jump in. Pip, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you're the CEO of Riverine Plains, but you've worked in a number of different roles in agri-tech over the years. What were your goals when you started in agri-tech? So I moved actually from community health over into agri-tech, but it made a lot of sense in terms of the fact that had worked with different innovation and just sort of trying to identify problems that needed to be solved with a focus on rural and regional sort of industries and communities. And when a role came up at AgriFutures, I took it. And so AgriFutures Australia used to be RIDIC, so Rural Industries Research Development Corporation. And they were one of the RDCs that did a big shift over to Wagga from Canberra. And so there was a bit of decentralisation of the RDCs from Canberra with the intent to actually have people who are working in ag innovation sitting closer, I suppose, to their stakeholders, which for RDCs is levy payers. And so there was a lot of opportunities that came up with AgriFutures and a lot of job opportunities in Wagga. And so started working with the AgriFutures team in 2018 and soon started on their Evoke Ag program, which is working with a lot of different sorts of technologies. And so the word agri-food tech, agri-tech gets bandied around quite a bit, but really it's just sort of any new technology or innovation. So it could be a new input, it could be digital technologies. A lot of people think you're just talking about apps on your phones or robots, but it's actually any new sort of way of doing things or tools that can actually help farmers realise the value of their land asset. They're all land asset managers and or make farming systems more resilient or sustainable. Yeah, amazing. So how has your career developed and changed over time? It's always working with people and wherever I've been, and I've done quite a few different jobs, but wherever I've been about bringing people together for a common purpose. And so I used to do that at Cancer Council New South Wales. We used to run hundreds of community fundraising events, but obviously a lot of increasing awareness and prevention. And so just understanding what a common goal is and actually pulling the the people together 
I'm one of those annoying people that I'm always organizing a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams call that, uh, or, you know, asking someone to be on a steering committee for something or rather. But um, I get a lot of enjoyment out of, okay, well, this is what we're trying to do. Let's have a good crack at it. And so I started working on a the Evoke Ag project not long after moving over to AgriFutures. And, you know, it was quite an ambitious goal that AgriFutures had. And, and there was just a you know, the agri-tech industry was sort of just growing. We didn't have that many startups, but we really didn't have a lot of investment in that sort of innovation in Australia. And but there was a lot of people across Australia who were also really passionate about it. And, you know, they've been trying to have a crack or the companies like AgriWeb had just started, you know, three years earlier. And so even just those sorts of platforms and those first movers, you know, everyone was trying to make the Australian agri-tech industry something that could attract a lot of innovation dollars and a lot of global innovation dollars so that we can have better solutions or opportunities for farmers. And I suppose my my bent is really how to build innovation communities or how to bring the right people together to make some cool stuff happen. But there is a pretty strong correlation to investment in innovation and economic GDP of nations. And so being able to showcase what Australian innovators have to offer and showcase Australia as a perfect place to trial and develop new technologies, even from across the world, the more investment we can get in that area, the better access to great technologies our farmers will have and they'll have earlier access because Australian ag only makes up 2% of the global agricultural industry. We aren't normally top of people's list to you know, do their market expansion in. And so a lot of our tech needs to be homegrown. Yeah, amazing. So in what ways do you believe your career path and how that's developed over time has shaped the way that you view opportunity in the ag space? So I did the program for Evoke Ag. And so a bit of a a dream job, really, just find the people who are doing the best things in ag science or digital ag technologies or climate tech or sustainability and annoy them until they came and on the program. And so you learn a lot. And obviously you talk to a lot of people, everyone you talk to, especially with the top of their industries, you know, these were the best people in the world at what they did, the leading scientists, you know, the most successful tech companies, the biggest venture capitalists. So you really do start learning what makes them tick, but also things that people have got in, in common and trying to find the people who put farmers at the centre of things too. And they're not always who you think they are. You know, they don't have to come from a farm or, or even a rural community to be really passionate about farming. It's something that impacts absolutely everyone. But also just learning an enormous amount of different skills from the really good farmers, you know, and I've worked with a lot of corporate farms, but just those individual private exemplar farmers that are really love to play like they really want to trial different things they're always looking through a ways for new opportunities to make their businesses more productive or you know make it less burdensome for them but I think just having a general sense of curiosity that I was always there to ask questions and so it's a really interesting dynamic that if you're always in a situation where you're ready to learn and so my job was to learn and communicate that to a broader audience. And so, and I talk a lot 
But when you're talking to those people, you listen a lot, right? You know, yeah. it's a give and take really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's unreal. That's what drives me and seeing how passionate other, other people are. Honestly, there's so much cool stuff happening in Australian agriculture at the moment that sometimes I just get a bit exhausted thinking about how we can trial everything at one time. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. But yeah, you spoke on a Vogue Ag and that is a pretty cool gig to have had. That's amazing. What was your like favorite or the most intriguing guest that you reached out to? Like what was the coolest thing you saw? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> we had hundreds of speakers, just hundreds of articles. I probably couldn't pick one and all these people will know who they are because I still annoy them a lot <laughs> to this day every time I've got a a question and I'm pretty passionate about sustainable farming systems and looking at the economic drivers around how you can make a farm sustainable and more profitable at the same time. And so there were so many companies that were just starting out, you know, we couldn't even say the word carbon in 2019, like when we were trying to put together the 2020 program, no one was talking about it. It feels like it's all that people are talking about now, but, um, and so people like Rob Waterworth, who's got the Flint Pro company, you know, his team, well, when he worked back in government, you know, he set up the full cam system and so had been working in the carbon space most of his career. And so the opportunity to learn a lot there, people like Phil Tickle, Justin Webb, Olympia Yaga, you know, and Sarah Nollett, like they're all actually really key people for driving sustainable ag in, and investment in Australian ag. But honestly, I do think the the list would be so long. And sometimes it's not the people, it's the takeaways. I always, in 2019, we had quite a few Israeli speakers on the program and they've got a really interesting innovation system. And, you know, in Australia, there's a bit of a pressure to publish from PhDs, but in the Israeli system, if you haven't had like nine failed startups as an innovator, then you really, you haven't really got your credentials yet. And so just the lack of fear of failure. And so in Australia, we do have a real tall poppy syndrome, right? And even in the agri-tech industry, there's a bit of that. And so just hearing from those Israeli innovators who are in the this tiny country, but they are punching well above their weight when it comes to innovative solutions for agriculture and some great port tech comes out of, you could just see how, that simple mindset of just having a crack and not being so worried about perception of failure or even how we treat failure in Australia, you know, we're not great with it, but it does hold back our innovation system. There's a lot of people at the moment so worried about being right rather than getting a solution out the door. And you see that a lot in the climate net zero ag space. It's a growing area, a lot of opinions and It'd be good if there was just probably a little bit more, let's just try everything. You know? <laughs> yeah, see what sticks. So what is the goal for Riverine Plains? So Riverine Plains is a, a pretty big catchment area. And so they started um, over 20 years ago and um, have had a lot of growth under the previous CEO, Catherine Marriott, who's a rock star, had a lot of growth in the organisation, which means that there's a lot more capacity for them to deliver more trials and more localised innovation for the farmers in the Riverine Plain. So it spans about 3.6 million hectares of farming. So, And within that area, there's common constraints, so dealing with a lot of sort of acidic soils, but there's also a lot of 
I suppose conditions that hold back a lot of other farmers across Australia that we don't necessarily have to contend to, you know, we're not as dry as a lot of other areas. And, you know, the Riverina Murray as a catchment area is one of the most productive and profitable farming catchments in Australia. And so when you're not always trying to work on the massive challenges, you can actually start focusing on, okay, how can we make this better? Or people have probably got a little bit of a higher risk appetite in some ways, in some ways lower. Farmers up north have got an enormous risk appetite, otherwise they wouldn't be able to farm up there. But the goal is really to get the innovation system that's localised to the riverine plains pumping as much. And so we've got really fabulous, there's other grower groups that are, you know, we work with really closely, FarmLink and Central West Farming Systems, Southern Farming Systems, Holbrook Landcare, and I suppose leveraging all of those relationships so that we can get more trials and innovation that actually works for our farmers developed on the ground. But even within the Riverine Plains catchment area, again, using that principle, the more investment dollars we can get in innovation. And so that's often it's working with people like GRDC, AgriFutures, but it's also in the Department of Ag, Department of Climate are being very active, obviously, in agricultural investment. But it's also how do we work with corporates? And well, I'd say probably most of the, in air quotes, the best technologies are still coming out of the corporate innovators. You know, it's those really big companies, but, you know, it takes so much longer for our farmers to get access. There could be years wait for some great new seed or more sustainable fertiliser because, as I've mentioned, Australia isn't always high on the list for those big companies to bring their tech over. And so I think working with those big corporates to make it easier for them to trial their tech in Australia is just straight away how to give our farmers an advantage. And we really want to be the key link between all of those people who are trying to innovate for farmers that are doing a really good job, but there might be product stewardship or just key product features, or it could be how things are applied or times of years, or even how do you ship different inputs to our areas. And so, you know, obviously working with a lot of our local agronomists who've got so much valuable knowledge, but how can we make sure that the really good stuff that is in development, actually, once it's launched, it's fit for purpose. That's probably the key thing that I've learned is that you can have the best piece of technology, but if you don't understand how a farm works, you don't understand human behaviour on farms, you don't understand how farmers get their products, technologies, or where they get their advice. Firstly, if you don't understand where farmers are getting their advice from or what's important to them when making investment decisions, and so some of this is really expensive stuff. They're tossing up big figures And if you can't demonstrate ROI for a farmer, why would they buy your product? But if you're trialling new seeds, you know, there's some of the most variable soils in the world in Australia. That has a big input. Sometimes it means that there's soil constraints that just won't be great for different soil amelioration strategies or new varieties. And so just making sure that a lot of care given to that end of the pipeline. There's a lot of early stage innovation happens, which is great because you need it because 90% of it never makes it out to consumers, right? And so we really want to just make sure those ones that are making it through that innovation pipeline that look like they've got promise, 
that we know about them and we can actually connect them to our farmers and make sure that they're the right fit for our farming systems. And that's a really critical role that grower groups and farming systems groups play. And I think there's probably not necessarily the appreciation for it. You know, if people understood adoption a lot better, their startups would go a lot better. And that's probably where Rive Plains really wants to play is how do we find out what's happening in the background and make it as easy for our farmers to find and their trusted advisors like their economists. And also getting the good problems. I've been involved with so many challenge style of events, you know, looking for problems. The hardest thing is to find a great problem. I mean, you just have to go and talk to farmers and agronomists and they'll give you a laundry list of things that are annoying them at the moment or their wish list of, gosh, if something did that, that'd be great. (laughs) Incredible. So, yeah, we've talked like the research side, obviously, which is the main part of what Riverine Plains does. But are there any other main areas that you're targeting to help growers improve their outcomes and develop thriving businesses? Well, it is research side, but it's actually more the people side. You can have as much research in the world, but if you don't have peer-to-peer learning or those great community networks where people are information sharing, because at the end of the day, farmers actually don't really care that much of what I think that they should be doing on farm. They really do care what their next door neighbour has done and how it worked. And so it's actually more about facilitating bringing people together with those opportunities for them to see how it went next door and doing that learning piece. And we don't do anything that doesn't have a people or peer-to-peer learning element. And obviously we've got wonderful things happening like our Youth in Ag program where it's actually looking at, well, how do we make it easier for people to move around regional areas? You know, it's really hard to move into some country towns, but if you know there's strong young farmers or young Aggies networks there, it makes it a lot easier to make friends. But also those people go through their careers too and we want them to have a great understanding of the Rift Plains area because, one, it's a great place to live and work, but, two, they might be doing some really cool stuff later in their careers and the better understanding that they can have of what happens on the ground, the better outcomes for our farmers. And how farmers learn as well is not so much different to every other organisation except there's just really formal learning and development opportunities when you're working for bigger organisations. You're given a budget and you're having your one-on-ones with your managers to make sure that you're doing that independent learning to develop skills to make you better at your job. And there's a lot of information out on a lot of different platforms for farmers, but being able to try and find those key ways that we can help facilitate that professional development in that peer-to-peer setting, because There's nothing worse than trying to learn how to use a new piece of software and you're the only one that went to the training and you've got no one to ask, oh, how did they say to do this again? Or, you know, and so that's often how farmers and a lot of farmers are doing group training sessions now, which is great. You know, we are just talking to one of our founding committee members last week and they're all learning zero together so that they've got someone to actually ask all the different features so they can use that platform properly. That would be very important, I can imagine. I know that mum, when she's learning new software, <laughs> leverages off other farmers in the area that are using it as well if she gets stuck. So it is very, very important. So would you say that that's one of the key drivers, that people-to-people contact that Riverine Plains can leverage to assist in improving the industry? Yeah, and I, I think it is the key driver. It is really the point of difference in terms of who contributes to that ag innovation system 
the people to people factor and that localized knowledge. And it's not just, I suppose, people to people. Some of these people have known each other for multi generations, right? And which does come into playing a big way of how people learn who they trust, how they are actually making some of their business decisions, you know, and understanding that will allow Riverine Plains to actually provide information in a way that actually works for farmers. I don't think in our you can really have great adoption of new practices or sustainable practices or new technologies without the people-to-people factor. And so building those strong communities is really important. You know, I love talking about net profitability, but you're never going to achieve that in a farming system unless there's great communities and early stage career farmers or other farmers can learn off each other, that it's the critical part to actually levelling up as an agricultural industry. Yeah. So you've spent a long time on the cutting edge of agricultural advancements and we've talked about it a little bit in terms of the salesmanship of new tech and the room for investment improvement in ag, in the agri-tech innovation industry. But is there any other areas where you believe there's room for improvement in agri-tech? Well, wanting things to work a little bit more and talking about things in terms of remembering that we're innovating for commercial farm businesses. Like I've worked with a farmer who's been developing his own basically input spreadsheet for 25 years. It is a, I mean, I would just love to pick it up and turn it into an app if I'm honest, you know, but these are really sophisticated systems that have been worked on for a while and they're really expensive assets to manage. You know, it's hard to buy a farm. If you're lucky enough to be able to buy a farm, you definitely then want it to see the returns on it. If you're lucky enough to inherit a farm, you've got an overwhelming sense of obligation to make it, you know, sustainable, resilient for the next generations. And so I think people who are innovating for farmers think that there's a massive challenge with farmers and adopting technology. But I actually think just because you innovate great things for farmers doesn't necessarily mean you understand a farming business. And so I think that there's a lot of space. You can see some companies doing it well, but that's probably the most advice I ever give to any startups that I've been mentoring is what does your sales team look like? Wouldn't be the worst thing if you hired a couple of kids that were already from your key market segments because they come with networks and you need a sales team. And the face-to-face element of ag tech adoption, in terms of a commercial ag tech company, adoption and sales are the same thing. And so just understanding the businesses that you're working with and who your customer is actually is, sometimes we get a bit caught up in the tech and we forget about the customer. The tech in startup land is wildly exciting, but sometimes we can forget that the farmers are at the centre of it. And My last job was working with a wonderful startup. Well, they're a scale-up now, I think. But with one of the founders of Lone Bio was Tegan Nock. We would work together in ag innovation in the past and it was great to work with Lone as we're doing their commercial launch and a lot of learnings there. I, I have a sales background. I used to have my own store, but just having to just remember sales principles, that that's actually what it was really about. And they've got an enormous amount of PhDs working at at Loam and they do have one of the best pieces of technology that I've ever seen, which is why I was working there. And there's enormous potential for that company, not only for 
tackling climate and making farms more sustainable, it will make them a lot more profitable if it works in their soils. But one of the key things was we also had to work with some great agronomists, you know, to understand how we'd get a product to a farmer in a way that was still viable. How would they apply it at scale? And so that's probably where I spent the most time is working between the product development team and our agronomy team just so uh, we could put some communications together so that farmers could understand, oh, who's Loam and why would I purchase one of their products? And so the better that our startups and scale-ups can get at remembering who they're selling to works so much better for them and so much better for their farmers. But, you know, it's not always easy. So you'd be all over the latest up-and-coming agri-tech innovations in development at the moment, but what's an area where you think we could see some agri-tech innovations that would be super profitable and super good for farmers? So anything that's dealing with profitability per hectare naturally gets you bigger ROI in Australia. So one thing we've got working for us is we've got really big farms. Globally, we've got some of the biggest farms in the world. The UK farms and Australian farms, not exactly the same challenges. And so it does mean that anything that you can make say in cropping, anything that you can make things higher yielding or that you can stack multiple enterprises on your farms. And so this is where a lot of the sustainability tech and things like biodiversity and carbon projects come into play. You can do things on your farm that one gives you bigger yields and that, you know, obviously that's an enormous profit driver for farmers is bigger yields. But if you can then have a soil carbon project growing underground and, you know, passively working away, accumulating soil carbon credits, which are now treated like on-farm income by the ATO. And then the non-arable areas of your property, if you look at doing a biodiversity project in those areas, that can now get rewarded by biodiversity credits. But, you know, it will probably make your system increase biodiversity. It's probably going to make the rest of your system more productive. And so I think I love the phrase tech stacking, but I think it's not that really clear what that means in a farming context. And so actually looking at land management strategies, new inputs and your digital technologies, and everyone loves this book, The James Clear Atomic Habits. And I sort of think of it, well, what are all one to five percenters and what are our, you know, five to ten percenters that if we could just put all these technologies together and work out the ROI and which ones make sense and integrating into your current farming system, what does the timings look like, what are the flow-on effects going to be, I think that real opportunity is to stack up all of those different innovations or strategies and you can make your farms 50% more profitable. But farmers are going to spend a lot of time doing farming too. And, you know, that's my full-time job, keeping across all of the tech areas, you know, and tech scout out of OK, just keeping up with the startups. You know, I still annoy their team of like, what are you seeing now? Like, you know, who have I missed? Because it is take, it's a full-time job to keep across that sort of tech. And, you know, your farmers and your agronomists, they're actually doing their, their normal jobs during the day. And so if we can start doing more of the ROI and analysis at a system level, we tried these three strategies across these three different geographical areas and this was the ROI. And it, just really simple language. They don't have to search for it. We don't hide the bad information. Knowing what doesn't work is just as valuable. Yeah, 100%. 
there's so much room for growth in this industry and it's growing so rapidly. It's going to be very interesting to keep across and just keep watching what's happening. I'm really intrigued. So I think it'll be good. Well, there's great people. Dr. Kate Burke, she's over at Achuka, so not very far away from where our, our head office is in Marwala. I mean, if you haven't read her book, Crops, People, Money, New, I think it's called, but it just lays out it, everything out quite simply in terms of what farming excellence means, but it also touches on quite a bit. What's the potential for your farm to actually, earn? like there's always going to be constraints and limitations, but, you know, this unrealised potential for those farms to be more productive or more resilient, I think that's what I find quite exciting is, oh, well, if we're only doing, we're only working at 50% at the moment, then that leaves a lot of area of opportunity, doesn't it? I'm going to keep an eye on it because it's very interesting. So now it's time for our quick fire round. So I've got a few questions that I'm going to ask you in rapid succession. There's two rules. You have to keep your answers to a max of one sentence and you have to answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. So are you ready? I think so. (laughs) What is the best lesson you have learned from a mistake, stuff up or a failure? Start planning things months earlier than you thought you needed to. Just start planning it. Get on the phone. Don't even worry about doing your Gantt chart. Just start calling people. (laughs) (laughs) What's one piece of advice you have for anyone wanting to enter the industry? Well, one, do it. And two, ask other people where the cool opportunities are. Do you prefer sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Who do you look up to most in your life? Probably collectively my family. You know, we've all got very different personalities, but they're also very honest people. That's who you want. You, you, <laughs> you, you want brutally honest people in your life. And finally, when you're out on the farm, what brand of work boots do you wear? Is it bad? I don't know the brand. They're the ones with the dogs on them, the pink dogs. <laughs> Perfect. That'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed our discussion. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It was lovely chatting and, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll chat again. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Farm Gate, a podcast by Rural Bank where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. For more information, including regular analysis and reports, head to the website, ruralbank.com. This show was produced with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Beyond the Farm Gate, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Zali Thomas. I'm Greg Cookle. And I'm Beck Wren. And we'll see you in the next episode of Beyond the Farm Gate.